Hello and welcome to the Parents of Alpha Kid podcast from surviving to thriving in your household. I am Gene Schwelin. Next to me, my beautiful bride, as always, Dr. Sonia Schwelin, pediatric school psychologist and nationally <laughs> certified school psychologist. I haven't said that in a while. So. You didn't say it last episode. You skipped over it. I did. So I'm giving you kudos. And then also, again, with us, <laughs> special guests we're excited about to have back for part two. Of incarcerated parents and how the impact how that impacts children and families and and, and the inmate as well, Dr. Chelsea Rooley, thank you for coming back again. Thank you for having me. So last week we ended with we're going to talk about how to answer kid, questions kids have about incarcerated parents. Um, really, how to talk to them about the release that can happen, um, and, and just validation we talked about, and then some statistics that I wanted to go through really quick. So. Um, I think it's really key to, to maybe even make this an episode to where we really look at maybe helping uh, promote some change in how things are approached when it comes to having parents incarcerated. Because, again, as we mentioned, there's so many facets, so many just different ways it can affect all kinds of people. So there really needs to be some change in how we really approach these types of things. Um, so some stats that I promised from last week. Um, with children, now this is all about children with fathers not involved or fatherless homes. So it doesn't talk about the moms, which also can definitely happen. Uh, so dads, it's not all about you, um, but it is about you and the importance you have in a child's life when it comes to this part. So 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. Uh, some of these other ones I'm not going to really go into because um, uh, they're pretty serious as well. But 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in, in prison come from fatherless homes. And there's many more stats. These come from different resources, um, telegraph.com. There's um, the U.S. Department of Health Census. There's a lot of really good information on here. Um, so I can share this link, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the episode so you guys can have access to that, parents, if you want this, because um, these are some really serious, you know, numbers that we really should pay attention to more often. So, um, all right. So how do we answer questions when kids have uh, parents who are incarcerated? So I think anytime we're talking to kids, um, honesty is key. Um You'd be surprised how often I heard inmates tell me that they created a story on why they're away. Um, some of the stories varied from they're, they're gone working or they are, um, you know, sick in the hospital. They are deployed for the military. And... Well, and when you have that too, I mentioned last episode, sorry to interrupt you, mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad you actually mentioned that because it made me remember my friend in high school that I mentioned on last episode, his dad, his last name, he was Italian. His last name was Italian. So his dad was some big crime boss in the Italian mafia. Now we were up in Jersey, New York area. So, um, but it, I think it made him feel better, made him like, look like he was more important. He came from a, from this type of family. He's tough. You don't want to mess with him well-connected and whatnot. And it never, none of it was really true. Um, but you're, you're right. You know, people either, either the, the parents make up something or the kids can even make up some type of story as well. That's true. Um, and what gets difficult about that is one, when we lie, it's really hard 
to keep up with a lie, right? All the time. Um, And I think sometimes we don't give kids credit. Um, They are sponges. They are perceptive. They are figuring things out all the time. So if you're telling the child that dad went to go work and he can't come home for a few years, but then you're struggling to pay the bills, the kid's going to start putting two and two together. Um, The thing that also confused me with some of those scenarios, and I I wasn't quite sure how they navigated these things, but if the, the dad is still connected to the child, right, the mail is coming from the prison. When they're on the phone calls, it'll say, you know, you're calling from, this person's calling from a, you know. Detention center. Right. Um, And so there's all these different things where kids are picking this up. And now we have the internet. A lot of times, you know, you can Google and the kid can find out that their parents in prison. And what we talked about last episode is all the things that children have to deal with, with having an incarcerated parent, putting a a lie on top of that. um, That's, I think just making the situation more difficult. Um, But then it goes back to, okay, well, if I'm supposed to be honest, how do I do that? Um, And the other tip I would say is, well, know your child, um, but also make sure you're giving age-appropriate information. So say you're talking to a four-year-old. A four-year-old understands that when you uh, break a rule, there's a consequence, right? There's a timeout, privileges are taken away, things like that. So explaining it to a child as um, dad made dad broke a rule. Laws are there for us to know what we can and can't do. And dad broke a rule. And so dad's got a timeout and his timeout is, is long. Um, and talking about it in terms of summers, in terms of Christmases, things that maybe, you know, kids can understand, but also not giving them all that information at once. Yeah, I can see a four-year-old going to school and saying, yeah, my daddy's in jail. Where's your daddy at? You know yeah. I mean? Right. Right. Um, and so really kind of seeing where the child's at. Okay, where's mom and dad? You know, explaining some of that and then just seeing how the conversation goes. If they just needed that piece of information, then let that sit because it's going to sit and marinate and probably more questions are going to come up. Um, and so going at your child's pace um, is also really important. Not giving way to, you know, o- oversharing. But as the child is going to have questions, you know, um, about where where their parent is, what they're experiencing while they're in prison and things like that. And, you know, making sure that you're being honest, but age appropriate and making sure that the child can kind of digest the information that you're giving them. Yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense. That's great information. Now, one thing I want to add, you know, because I talk to parents all the time about how to talk to their children about difficult topics. Um, you said something about, you know, make sure you're not oversharing or make sure you're kind of going at their pace, taking their lead with how much they can digest, you know, in smaller um, increments. Um Parents who are feeling particularly emotional or anxious about telling their child something like this may do a bunch of oversharing because it's easier to just talk through it 
uh, rather than like sit in that uncomfortable, awkward pause or even, you know, trying to figure out how much your child even understood. And so parents will do this, even if the topic is not very difficult, they will just talk and talk and talk and the child either zones out, their attention span's not really there, especially with a four-year-old. Um, and so I really love that you said, just give a little bit at a time and move on, right? You don't have to sit there and wonder, like, how badly is this affecting the kid? Because if your kid's four or five, guess what? They see a squirrel go by and they're already on to the next thing, right? And it'll be later when they finally have some questions for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's going to definitely, you know, take some time for kids to really even understand what they're feeling as well, ultimately. I mean, you know, no matter what age they are. So the other thing I would say is um, we talked about this last episode of, you know, um, being, um, being an inmate and being incarcerated has this stigma of who you are. Right. Um, And that's what society places on inmates, right. That you must be a terrible person because you're in prison. Um, and that's kind of the message that is perpetuated in society. And so I think, you know, over time, when the child's there, you know, un- getting the child to understand that just because someone made a bad decision doesn't make them a bad person. They're, they're not this um, terrible human being now that they're in prison. Um, that it, it's, it's still your dad but he made a bad decision. He broke a law. And now a consequence to that is this, is going to prison. He's still your dad. You know, he's still, you know, the same person that did all these things with you, the same person that tells you he loves you. Um, But getting them to kind of differentiate that, which is difficult. I mean, it's difficult for us as adults to do that. Um, But trying to, you know, understanding that the child may may feel that way because as society, that's what we do. We say people in prison are bad um, and people out of prison are good. And it's not that black and white. Well, and you know, that's another thing that I talk to parents about all the time, not with this topic, but any topic is it really doesn't matter how old your child is to a degree, they're going to take your lead, right? So it's all about how you present it. It's all about what you choose to focus on. I always tell parents when you're about to have a difficult conversation with a child, make sure you focus on the things that you do know. And that's it, because there's going to be a lot of unknowns whenever there's any kind of major change in the home. But you can focus on what you do know. And it's the same stuff that you just mentioned. You know, we do know that your dad's in prison. We do know that it's going to be a couple years per the sentence. Right. We know that we can go visit him during visitation. We know that he still loves you. We know that he's still the same guy that did all those outings with you or whatever it is. And so the more and more you can focus on what you do know, right, it helps take away some of that stigma, that uncertainty. But it really is about the other parent um, deciding they're going to lead in that manner. And that can be really hard, right? Because during a very emotional crisis time, it's hard to like always be on in that way. Well, I'm talking about all the positive things nonstop can be difficult because you're not wanting to be positive because you're upset, you know? Right. And so, you know, we always just tell parents do the best you can as often as you can be intentional about trying to spin it in a, in a healthy way for your child and then go seek out services for yourself. Make sure you're getting support from people in your life and with, from a professional therapist or psychologist, because, um, 
you need to take care of yourself too. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned honesty as well. And so even when we are that caregiver and we do make a mistake in how we approach our child with something, cause we will, you know, we can't be perfect all the time. Um, just being honest in that and saying, you know what, I'm sorry. I said that earlier, or I'm sorry I did this or, or whatnot. There's ways to really educate our kids and really show them how to, how to have grace, how to say sorry and whatnot, which can also go a long way. You know, one thing I talked to, or you talked about last episode was that framework also setting the proper framework as far as what to expect, what, what's going to look like. If we do go visit, those things are going to be very important as well. And, and then just knowing, um, depending on why the parent is incarcerated, you know, I, I had a vision, there's a movie, I forget what movie it was, but you know, mama's looking down at her cell phone and all of a sudden she swerved off the road and hit somebody and she got charged and went to prison for vehicular manslaughter. It's, you know, how do you say that? Well, my mom killed somebody. Well, that sounds really bad, but when you really know the story behind it, I mean, things happen, people make mistakes. There are some people that may have made some really bad mistakes, but um, again, doesn't define who they are. There's all kinds of reasons why people can go to prison. Yeah, and I think when we talk about you know, the specific crimes, it gets tricky. It gets tricky um, with how much we share with the child because, you know, sometimes it's not going to be appropriate to give all the details and um, the child may not be able to handle it at that time. And so going back to, again, being honest, right? Dad broke a law, you know, that, you know, he broke a law and this is what, you know, the judge says that because he did that, he has to go to prison for this amount of time. Um, and then as the child gets older, kind of, you know, that's when I would probably, depending on the situation, that's a great time to seek help on like, how do I, how do I give appropriate details to my child about this? Um, and something like family therapy would be a great setting to do something like that, because that's going to be difficult depending on the crime and the things involved, um, and seeing whether, when, and whether that's appropriate, um, depending on their age. I agree. I mean, as the more complex it gets or the older a child gets, obviously older kids, adolescents, they tend to have some of that stigma, you know, themselves because they're older now, they have friends to worry about. They have their own reputation to worry about. Um, the social implications are huge and, They also have maybe their parent to worry about. You know, now we're a single family, a single parent home, and who's going to take care of us financially? I mean, these things go through kids' heads um, all the time, even when a parent isn't incarcerated. Um, And so um, being able to be the source, right? Like what I mean by that is making sure, like what you're saying, Dr. Wooley, just be honest, take it with care as you give information. So you want your child to keep coming to you. Right. Otherwise, you're going to go find that comfort or that answer to their question somewhere else. And that may not end up well either. And so providing them the family therapy setting or some kind of therapeutic setting to have those difficult conversations, I think, is super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And you mentioned like just um, what are kids going through and and what the setting looks like now. And it made me think about, you know, kids who have to go in now. They're having to raise, you know, younger siblings because mom is on her own or dad is on his own now doing all the work, having to work extra shifts, late nights, whatever it may be. Um, or the sibling or one of the kids is having to go and actually work themselves to help provide financially for the family. Um, which ends up them not going to high school anymore. them dropping out of high school, them doing other things to try to find a way to help out with the family and, and whatnot. Um, so really trying to find ways to find resources as well to really let kids be kids as much as possible. So what we share with them as well, can also affect them from being a kid um, and their innocence. So doing all we can to protect that is going to be very important. 
Yeah, not adding that added burden, you know, on them because, again, they're dealing with all that stuff and then knowing, you know, if they're expected to play some kind of parent role, um, that that's just going to impact them even even more over time. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk about when it comes to incarcerated parents getting released and what that dynamic looks like. We talked a little bit about it last episode. Um, but how do we approach the kids where we're talking about how do we answer questions kids have? What questions do kids have when they know mom or dad's coming home? And um, how do we approach that? What are the things we should look for? So one thing is I would start that conversation with the child and say, you know, dad, dad or mom's coming home. What do you think that's going to be like? And seeing kind of what their expectations are. Um, as I, I said last episode, I think the default is, okay, everything goes back, right? And it kind of depends on how long the, the, the parent's been gone and how old the child is and things like that. But if, you know, dad was living at home, um, there's probably an expectation, unless something's dramatically changed, that dad's going to come back home and dad's going to go to my sports events and dad's going to, you know, do all these different things. But when somebody releases, there's often, you know, probation, there's visits, there's treatment, there's all these things that have to be done while that person has been released from prison. So there are other monitors you may have to wear ankle monitors, mm -hmm. things like that. And there's certain requirements of, you know, going to look for jobs or, um, you know, different things. And so the parent's not going to be fully out of that system just because they're home. And so I think getting them to understand that there's going to be different requirements um, and that, you know, dad will have to, you know, follow these rules and do these different things differently um, so he can stay home with us or so he can stay out of prison. And um, I think also kind of preparing um, that dad may be different. Yeah. Well, and I, I like what you said also. I mean, with um, dad may also be at home more than not because he's going to find a job mm -hmm. and that can be very frustrating. He wants to come home and provide. Um, so I like, I, I want to kind of just really touch base. Like you said, kind of see how the kid responds. And I, and I learned this. Uh, really, really well last week in a, in a meeting that I had with uh, my beautiful bride and a bunch of the people, the pregnant pause. So we can use that with our kids, right? <laughs> the pregnant pause. Were you there? I that? was there for that. So asking the question and just pause. I don't really know what it means, pregnant pause, but I, I got the just really quickly. Um, <laughs> so asking the question to the kids and really just waiting and seeing how they really respond. That's going to give you all the answers you need for the most part. Yeah, so you don't talk over the pond. So, hey, dads, you want to really, or, or you want to really, or husbands, you want to really get far with your wives? Pregnant pause. That's right. Ask a question and then wait for her to answer. And then after she answers, it may take say, five years. Tell me more. And then and you'll then be her best more. friend. Yes. <laughs> and then she'll start spider webbing. And I'll tell you all about that in a different episode. <laughs> yeah. Because I think there's often this drive to like fill in the space and talk. And okay, I've. I've, my kids answered. So now I've got to ask another question. I do it all the time. I'm very guilty of that. So it's, it's tough not to sometimes. It is. It is. Um, so yeah, following their lead. So what does dad, what are the expectations when dad comes home? What do you think it's going to be like? Um, are you excited? Are you happy? Like, um, and really understanding where they think dad's going to play a role. 
And then maybe, you know, tempering some of those expectations like we talked about. Okay, well, dad has these requirements now. Or, you know, dad is going to go live with uh, grandma um, because dad needs some time to you know, get adjusted. He still loves you. He's still going to see you. We're going to make sure that you have time together. But I think he's going to need some time to, you know, kind of get adjusted and settle down and things like that. And having those kind of different conversations, because dad may not be coming straight back to the house. And that may not be best for the family. That may not be best for him. It may not be best for the, the child. And so, um, being able to have that kind of open conversation. Um, and again, going back to what we talked about before, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. That doesn't mean you aren't going to spend time together. That doesn't mean eventually, you know, things will change. But we want to give dad, you know, some steps sure. to come back. Now, I, you know, this is, I always love thinking about ways to be proactive versus being reactive. I understand that when a parent gets incarcerated, we're more in reactive mode. We're in a crisis. We're just kind of having to like figure it out as it happens. But with release, it sounds like the families have a heads up. They know when the release date is going to be. So is it even, I mean, would you say it's recommended for parents to have conversations with kids about, well, if, for example, dad's going to grandma's or dad's coming home, you know, your routine is going to stay the same uh, with a few minor changes because on Monday night or every night now, dad's going to be eating dinner with us or Monday nights, he's going to be the one to take you to practice instead of me. Um, you know, working out some of those details and communicating like, what does this mean for you? That's what children are usually most interested in. Like, how is this actually going to affect my life? Right. Mm -hmm. They want to hear that. They want to know what to expect. It helps them really with the adjustment, helps them with that sense of security and it gives them that space to answer questions. So, I mean, do you ever see that kind of level of preparation happening? Um, I think it's, I, I have seen it and I think it is a great um, suggestion because, I, you know, laying out, like, just like you said, I think that's great. You know, what will their day to day look like, right? Is mom still going to take me to and from school, right? Or is grandma going to help take me to and from school? So what, what is dad's role? Like where, what is, when is dad going to be around, right? Okay. Dad's going to have dinner with us every night that he can, right? Um, dad's going to be over, you know, so many nights a week. Or, um, you know, if dad doesn't have to go to treatment, dad's going to go to your football game. And understanding how, because again, if we're able to to provide that routine and that stability, then we can prep them to what is going to change in that routine mm -hmm. and stability. And I would encourage people to not have a major disruptions in that sure. routine and stability as dad comes home. Because if that's something that's been working well, you can integrate dad into that routine. But we don't want, again, like a ma another major disruption if we can help it. Well, now what you just said, though, is making me think. So I have two things that I'm really thinking about. I'm thinking about maybe the parent that is released and then the child who is feeling betrayed, has some trust issues, too afraid to really trust in the fact that mm -hmm. this parent is home now. Mm -hmm. Because what if you up and abandon me again? Right. Right. And then the other thing I'm thinking about is um, the incarcerated parent who is released trying to have contact with the child, but the other parent not allowing it. Right. Or the other parent putting things in the child's head of they're not good for you. We shouldn't, you know, let's cut this off or whatever. 
let's say there's not really a safety reason, right? Then let's say there is a safety reason. Do you tell the child your dad's not safe for you and that's why we're protecting you from him, you know? So there, those are the three things now that are like going through my head. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, in the healthy situation or as healthy as possible with the, the parent coming back and being involved, not disrupting the routine is very important. Also setting proper expectations so the kids don't have this big dream of what's going to really look like. And then all of a sudden be crumbled on and crushed because it's not really that way. Uh, but then again, you do have these other uh, things to, to look at. Scenarios. We brought it up last time. Too. And another scenario we can add in there really quick because we're just going to throw all scenarios at you, Dr. <laughs> Woolley. So cause we know you have all the answers. Um, <laughs> I, I have experience with a friend that their dad was getting released and, and or thought they were the dad was getting released and had to prepare for it and who's dad living with and all these things they had to really deal with. Um, and then dad doesn't get released and something happens and it didn't go through. And But you had to prepare for it beforehand because that's part of the kind of the parole hearing from what I understand. Um, mm -hmm. uh, again, very limited information, but then all of a sudden there is no release and now it's another six months and they have to go through it again. And then it didn't happen again or it does happen, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, when we're talking about parole, um, it's so it is uncertain. Um, and an inmate can be convinced, um, that they're going to get out on parole and be denied. And so I think in those instances, um, not getting the child's expectations high is important, but you know, some people in certain, um, systems, they have a release date and it's not going to change, um, unless they get in trouble, they may lose like good conduct time or things like that. But for some systems, there's a set release date and it's like, this is their date as long as they don't get in trouble and don't lose any good time, um, which they'll know ahead of time if that happens. Um, and so that's, I think, an easier scenario because I've got, we've got this date, it's in the system, it's happening. Um, but the parole situation, that is a lot of uncertainty. And I would encourage people to maybe not work not not get kids so excited and have high expectations because that system is very different and sometimes they have to wait six months sometimes they have to wait longer than that to go up for parole again and then you're doing this all over again and getting the child's expectations high and things like that and I think as a the incarcerated person has to work on that too because sometimes they get so invested. I'm getting out of here. I know at this parole hearing I'm going to be released and then they don't. And sometimes they tell that to their families and their families think, oh, that means it must be a sure thing and it ends up not being and everybody's kind of heartbroken again. So, I mean, the questions I asked about, you know, the child who's not willing to trust the process, who mm -hmm. uh, questions their parents' loyalty and is, af is a afraid of being reabandoned, right? Um, I mean, I think that would be, I'm just going to answer my own questions. I think that would be a time to, like, really seek out therapy again, mm -hmm. that there's abandonment issues, there's emotional issues and attachment issues, right? And so those are deeper things that can be addressed in therapy, but what about, I still have that question about, you know, when a parent is keeping the released inmate away, when it's not necessarily a safety concern. Yeah, that's um, going to be tough. Right. I mean, the child's like, okay, when can I see my dad, right? And maybe mom is like, not happening. Or even maybe, maybe you know, caregiver and, and child are, are just 
doing their own thing and never really seen that, but now dad is out. And wants more involvement. And wants more involvement and it keeps coming around, keeps coming around and whatnot. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios there that can play out too, but, you know, when you are kind of keeping that incarcerated or released, you know, inmate um, away, what do you do? It's a, go ahead. I was thinking like parental rights, right? I mean, it, it yeah. comes down to that. Right. And I think, um, I think it's, I, you know, we've talked a lot about the incarcerated person and the child, but the caregiver, it's a lot to handle. And if that person has been managing, right, this person's, you know, been raising this child and putting so much effort and time in and then you know the incarcerated parent comes back and wants to have something I mean again there's all kinds of feelings that can come up with that and um, anger and resentment and I think those things again are addressed in therapy best you know to deal with those things but you know going through the court system and maybe getting some visitation rights, things like that. Um, of course, you know, that could be something down the line if informally it can't be resolved. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of, cool, I mean, even as a caregiver, I mean, if I was a caregiver and, you know, I've had to pick up the pieces for my children, you know, all on my own for however long it's been. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough. Like what if, what if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing? What if you do screw up? What if you hurt them? Then I'm here picking up the pieces again and again and again. So some of that we can obviously understand as well. Um, I can see where it could be very difficult, though, for the released inmate to, to go get some parental rights to the court system because probably don't have any money and you can get, you know, support to the court system in some degree, but it's a long process, too. It does not happen right away, and um, that can be very difficult. So Our wheels are turning again, Dr. <laughs> Thank you for such an interesting topic today. Was there anything else you wanted to make sure you shared or any more tips for the parents? Um, I don't believe so. I think I've, I think I've given them all out. Yeah. I, think, I mean, it was, <laughs> this was a great topic. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would, you know, at the end of the day, um, what I always like to say is that, you know, the kids are really the ones that should be put first. It should be really all about them, no matter what we feel and what we're going through and whatnot, as long as the kid is safe. Um, and ultimately making the best decision for the kid is going to always be, you know, best practice, evidence-based, right, Dr. Swayland? That's right. <laughs> well, again, Dr. Bully, thank you for joining us two episodes. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for all the information. Um, if parents, if you have questions, you can definitely check us out on the, um, on, on the YouTube channel, send us comments, questions. We'd love to address those, answer those for you. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. The Parent Survival Kit from Surviving to Thriving in Your Household. 